Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. My guest on this episode is Maria Jordan, founder of Fireflies Management, a global communications agency that works with organizations to evolve and promote their brands, uh, including Lamborghini, the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament, and My Heritage. Over her decade of experience in PR, Maria has successfully collaborated with organizations to elevate and promote their brands, delivering compelling and tangible results for startups and renowned businesses alike. Three years ago, she went freelance and quickly began working with top-tier brands. This resulted in the birth of Fireflies Management. So, uh, Maria, is there anything I've missed? No, this is great. I feel like I can now go and accept my Oscars nomination. (laughs) (laughs) This is great. Thank you so much, Todd. I really am so happy to be on your podcast. Well, well, thank you for coming. Uh, It's always interesting to me to learn... uh, I guess the motivation that people have between before making big changes in their life. So uh, you were working in PR, and then what inspired you to kind of go freelance, and which led to Fireflies Management? I think that's a really great question, and so that I can answer it in the most authentic way. I think I need to take you a little bit back to how it all started in mm-hmm. PR. Um, I was sixteen when I started getting familiar with marketing and events. And that's really where my sort of love for marketing and promoting something came about. And I was also doing journalism, quite similar to you. Um, So I was writing and traveling all around the world and writing different sort of articles for hotels, etc. And I've always had this passion for PR. So I started off as a junior and just really working myself up to being a global PR manager and managing markets pretty much all around the world and working with agencies, with PR agencies and also working in-house. And it came to a point that I was managing the UK, the US, the Nordics, Germany, Australia, New Zealand, all in one role. So that gave me a massive exposure into the PR world and just a really good understanding of how to build relationships, how to manage narratives, how to tell a story in the most authentic way. And then I left the global PR role and I became the UK PR manager for one of the biggest smartphone brands in the world, which was a very fascinating job. And I was so excited to be in the role that I was that I, for two years, exactly two years, I gave it my all. I was working maybe 14 to 16 hour days and there was no such thing as a work-life balance. I know. There was no such thing. I didn't even know work-life balance existed. I thought it was just work. <laughs> um, yeah. So I really gave it my all. And then it was after the latest handset launch that we did and a week before COVID hit, oh, wow. I just thought, you know what? I'm actually quite tired and I would like <laughs> to just, I've worked so much for the last two years that I would like to just take some time off. So then I ended up just quitting. Um, I wasn't able to get the time off from work because it was such a busy period. So I ended up just leaving that role and I went traveling. So it was the summer of 
sort of restrictions being there with COVID and then not being there. So I just traveled all around Europe. I'm based in London. And I think I just re-aged I Like I just had so much energy when I came back. And my friends were always saying to me, why don't you just start your own freelance? Mm-hmm. So one day, I don't know if it was like an Oprah aha moment that I had, <laughs> but I just thought one day, like, why not? Just just start and just see what happens. And it was literally at that moment that I thought, well, I've done the whole global PR. I have worked across so many different industries from tech to hospitality to travel to beauty. Why don't I just try it and see what I can what I can do? And I think because of COVID, it was the perfect time for me. Oh, because yeah. in a way, a lot of companies were letting go of staff and they weren't able to retain them and they needed more freelancers. So that became an, ama- like an amazing opportunity for me because there was so much work. Oh, yeah. um, so it was actually, it just worked in my favor and it was, I suppose it was meant to be. So that was the inspiration behind it. It's kind of like the whole world was reshuffling the deck at that moment and everything was getting re- rearranged and you just kind of found yourself and surfed the wave to the right kind of opportunity there. I, You know, it's funny. I went freelance when I like maybe 2016 and it was just kind of like, uh, you know, you have to have a certain amount of faith that things are going to yeah. turn up and that you have great relationships and you have a great network of people. Um but there is something about uh, when when I went freelance, and it was not because I was overworked. It was because the traffic in Los Angeles is so terrible that spending yeah. two and a half hours on the road every day was driving me wow. nuts. And uh, so that basically, you know, yeah, once once you start and put yourself out there, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when things start to take root and you have your own thing. Did you... Did you intend it to become kind of its its own company, or did you know what I'm saying, or did you just think you were just gonna go go as Maria? You know, I I went as Maria. I had it's so funny you mentioned that because my first sort of professional email address was Maria Jordan PR at gmail.com. That was I don't have that email address anymore, but that was my sort of generic PR address, and I was working from that address, and I was pitching these incredible stories and working with clients just by being me and just being Mm -hmm. my own brand. I think one thing I would say for anyone wanting to potentially start their freelance journey is really work on your personal brand Mm. at the beginning because it's so important to use platforms like LinkedIn. I'm not on Twitter. I've never been on Twitter. And I know there's a lot of drama going on on Twitter at the moment or Mm -hmm. X as they call it. And I think just building up your personal brand, even if you are working with a company, it's just so important because once you leave the corporate world, at least you've got yourself to fall back on. And I think Mm. that's what worked really well for me. Um, And I think I was quite naive because I just thought, well, I can do it. Let's just see how it goes. And I think in a way that's better because sometimes when you think about it too much, you will probably put yourself off from doing it. So mm. if you do, if you just go for it and then figure it out as you go, you would probably just, I don't know, you'd probably just get to it a lot quicker than pre-plan. Uh, what are some ways that you create a personal brand on LinkedIn? Um, that's a great question. So at first I had no idea about a personal brand and I actually spoke to a friend of a friend 
Um, she now has her own personal branding agency and her name is Amelia Sodell. Yeah. And she basically just took me through, she basically analyzed my LinkedIn profile and said, you need to have a better profile picture, more professional profile picture. You need to change your URL. And then after we sort of done the sort of the makeup of the LinkedIn profile, it was like, how do you add value to the people that are following you? Mm. So it's not people zone out. If you say to them, look at me, I'm so amazing. I've done X amount of campaigns. I've achieved X amount. People are like, oh, okay, here we go again. But if you're actually adding value and adding insight and saying, did you know these are the top three steps of getting coverage in mainstream media, that then adds knowledge and value to your audience. And I think that's really important. And it's also important to give it out for free. Mm. You don't necessarily have to always make money. It's not always about making money and trying to find a way to monetize everything in life. Sometimes it's just about being of service and helping people. And from that, conversations build your networking and you increase your profile. Hmm. And I wouldn't say I'm a specialist in LinkedIn by no means. Um, luckily, my clients have all been through word of mouth. So I dip in and out of LinkedIn, I would say. But I think adding value is probably the main, the main point of building a personal brand. Hmm. Great. Uh, so to get into actually the doing of things, uh, one of your big clients is My Heritage, and I guess it seems to me My Heritage is a little bit bigger maybe in Europe, and we're kind of more of a twenty three and Me type of thing in the in the states. If I'm not right. incorrect, yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a similar thing. Uh, do, you, well, do you know what the differences are, or can you explain a little bit about what My Heritage is for the audience? Yes, absolutely. I would love to. So MyHeritage is a global family history platform um, that also offers DNA testing. I, I can't speak for competitors, but one thing that MyHeritage prides itself on, it's its privacy to DNA testing. So they would not sell your DNA to a third party. It is mm. purely for your use and your use only, um, which is a big, big thing. And a lot of their competitors don't really do that. Um, mm. So if you want to build out your own family tree, you can do that through the platform. But they have also grown in a space of AI, as everybody is. Right. So a couple of years ago, they launched Deep Nostalgia. And I'm pretty sure it, it became the number one app when it first launched. It was above WhatsApp and Facebook and all of those. And basically what it does is it, you animate photos of dead relatives so you've got mm. a still photo you take your phone you scan it and it animates and it moves your face in the photo so they really broke out into the tech and ai space so now they're more than a family family history platform they do ai they do tech and now we are really reuniting stolen babies with wow. their birth parents, which is just the most wow. phenomenal work that I've ever done. Um, and it's just going way above the service and the products that they offer. It's just changing people's lives in, in ways that I wasn't even thinking it would be possible. So uh, let, just to, let, let me get this correct here. So people, I guess it was in Chile, they were uh, there was a a problem with babies being stolen like out of the hospital or just on the street like a kidnapping thing or 
So it gives me chills. I've been working on this story for two years now. Um, and what happened is in the 70s, um, 20,000 babies were stolen from poor families, wow. from hospitals, and given up for an adoption to American families. Wow. Neither families had any idea of this, this actually happening. The poor family in Chile was told that their child had died at birth or that they had some health issues and their bodies were disposed of before they even had a chance to meet their baby. Oh, my God. And Yep. And in some cases, um, in some cases, the baby was given up for an adoption a day or two after it was it was born. And in some cases, they would send them out to a, a village outside of the main town where they would stay and families would then come and meet the babies and decide which one they want to take home. But neither side had any idea of this happening. And it's only now, thanks to the work that my heritage is doing and also an organization in Chile that they're doing to really reconnect those families and really raise, raise awareness that, hey, this is actually happening. And it, if someone was adopted in Chile, it might, you may be part of this horrific project. Wow. So is the impetus on, let's say, the, 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 the baby was taken to, to America um, to reach out to publicize, to, to let people know that, hey, you might have been one of these stolen babies. Um, here's how you find out. Is, is, that, is that the basic rough take on that? or um, Not quite, but in, along those lines. So what tends to happen is um, we had a story that broke out of four families that have found out. They've seen an article about somebody that had a very similar story to this. He was adopted from Chile um, into an American family, and they saw that story and they thought, well, could, could this be me? They reached out to my heritage. They quickly sent them a DNA kit, and the people on the ground in Chile were able to have a database of parents who have been searching for their, for their children because they just didn't believe their child had died. Wow. So there's a huge database, and they were very quickly able to match them. Now these users are completely heartbroken because they thought, well, mom and dad didn't love me, and they gave me up for an adoption. So they've grown wow. up with this resentment towards their birth parents. And I spoke to a gentleman last week that has he's 42 years old. He has just discovered that he was adopted mm. through this corporation. And... He just said, look, I don't want this to happen to anyone else. I don't know if it's still happening, if this is still going under covers and nobody knows. But I want to raise as much awareness and share my story with the world so that other people can then reconnect and see if they've been part of this conspiracy. Wow. And that's literally how it's, it's, it's snowboard because we had a – I was working with people.com on a four-piece story, people.com posted it, Upworthy, in fact, um, picked up the story. You posted hey. it on your Instagram account. It was picked up. We had more inquiries coming through, through the Upworthy page. And it's just becoming this huge sort of, 
I don't know, like a huge beast in a way, but in a positive way, of course, of people being able to see these articles and connecting with us. So for me as a PR, it's just so important to keep the narrative going and working with the right journalists and the, the right platforms to be able to tell their story in the most authentic way. Wow. Uh, that's really cool. As somebody who is like the head writer for Upworthy, it's, it's cool that that happens. Sometimes you write stories and you have no idea that there's an impact yeah. uh, in the world. I'll have to talk to my... Yeah, please yeah, do. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my I'll editor about that. It's a good reminder uh, for when you're doing journalism that there's a reaction to it. Because sometimes you file the story, you move on to the next thing, you know. Um, wow, that's that's incredible. Uh, so, uh, it's, <laughs> um, I was saying like, great PR opportunities present themselves when you're able to insert your client or yourself, you know, into a big story. Can you talk about how you secured a whole bunch of TV coverage for my heritage after the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth? Yes. So that was a very interesting one because in PR, you know, we do all, it, we all work on hijacking different stories and mm -hmm. there needs to be a balance, right? And the Queen's death is such a sentimental and sensitive subject. Mm. We actually knew of the Queen's passing a few hours before it was broadcasted onto oh, wow. BBC because we had connections with, uh, with BBC. So I was able to know about that a few hours before. And I just thought, well, my heritage is a global family history website. They specialize in history and archives. They've got billions of them on their platform. Surely there must be somebody within my heritage that is able to talk about the British royal family. And I know mm. that as soon as the news broke out, everybody was a little bit like, what is the protocol? What happens? How does it happen? What happens to the Queen? Why does it take such a long time for the funeral to take place? And there's all of these points that happen before the funeral takes place. And luckily, to our surprise, they were working with a British royal expert who ended up actually working with the royal family. Oh. And I thought, well, bingo, there you go. There's a lot of media that are seeking this type of coverage. We've got the expert. Let's, let's see who would take it. And I remember just sending a pitch. And I think within 40, no, within 24 hours, we had 29 TV appearances booked in. Wow. And he just became the royal expert for Fox News, Fox and Friends, ABC, NBC, all the ABCs. <laughs> he was basically <laughs> their royal expert and just commenting for the, for the next 10 days. And he was pretty much booked out. So I think sometimes it's about seeing an opportunity, knowing your clients' uh, potential and what they can do, and just merging those two things together. What's interesting to me is that, you know, uh, I guess multiple generations have lived with Queen Elizabeth and the media landscape obviously has changed since, you know, she took the throne, if that's the appropriate thing to say, that people, there was a gap in people's understanding of how to handle it. And this, uh, and your client, uh, a representative for your client was able to fill that gap perfectly. And uh, that's an amazing thing. Because I wouldn't think of, you know, if, you know, a president in the United States died or something, we would have 
we kind of know how that would work or how people would behave. But when it's been mm-hmm. such so long since there's been a change that way, that it's almost people go, well, how do we handle this? You know? Exactly. And I think there was a lot of, I feel like the, the British media knew. They had a very good understanding. And there's always these protocols that um, BBC News, for example, have to go through in case of a royal family dance. They've got a very good idea of what happens. But for the world media as such, maybe it, their understanding isn't as, as good as the British media because they're not here, they're not based here. Yeah. Um, so it was very interesting, actually. And it was, I think, I mean, talking about work-life balance at the beginning, there was no work-life balance during those two day, uh, those 10 days. <laughs> it was just work, work, work. We had so many interviews in person over Zoom. But it was, um, I think... For, some, for a subject that was so sensitive and so sad for so many, we were able to add a little bit of color and we were able to just make it into something very positive and just really talk about the royal history and my heritage. I mean, the, the, the courage that they got out of that was just phenomenal. Wow. That's great. Another happy client. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So speaking about happy clients, uh, what are the benefits that clients have to hiring freelance PR people as opposed to creating something in-house? Yeah, I mean, there are so many benefits and I don't want to bore you to death with them, but, you know, I have worked agency side and I have worked in-house. So I think one of the things that a lot of companies perhaps don't realize is that a lot of agencies actually work with freelancers. So in a way, if you are working with a freelancer, you're sort of cutting the middle person a little bit. Also, with an agency, you're having to commit to a retainer every month, whereas with a freelancer, you can hire somebody like me or other sort of niche freelancers that are very specific and project-orientated. So you don't need to have a huge amount of retainer. It could just be based on an hourly fee or a day rate or on a specific project. Mm-hmm. And it is so much more cost-effective Um and this is something that my clients have always said to me that it's actually they've worked with PRs and then they've now switched to freelancers because the way we work as well, it is very transparent. I speak to them all the time. They know what's going on. Whereas when you've got an agency and you've got a big agency, it's very difficult to know exactly what everybody else is doing. Right. And I think, you know, if you are working with an agency, you're usually appointed an account manager and this account manager would then work whereas from a client point of view they appoint you and they know that you're the most experienced person to take on the account um so i mean there's loads of benefits and also you know having managed five different pr agencies usually you get the junior person in in the team pitching to media so you've got usually depending on your budget you'll have a junior and account manager and maybe an account director but it's always the junior person that would then pitch to media. And that always surprises me because juniors have just started. I remember being a junior. Um, sometimes you know what to do. Sometimes something will come up and there'll be a lot of back and forth. Whereas with a freelancer, we've, we know the context. We can very quickly direct you to the right outlet and get you those results and save you a bit of time and, and money. So... Lots of lots of bonuses for sure, but I'm biased, so. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, so what? 
So, Maria, what does the future hold for Fireflies management? I know you kind of went from zero to 60. Uh, things <laughs> blew up rather quickly for you. Uh, what, do you. What do you see happening in the future? And are you going to keep it balanced this time? I, oh, I, I hope so. I really hope so. Um, the reason I called my company Fireflies is because I've pictured the world map and I want to have little fireflies dotted around the world and basically mm. create a pool of freelancers that can very quickly help clients and work directly with clients. So ideally, I would love to connect with even more freelancers to just create this platform of freelancers where people can clients can just come in and just you know employ somebody that is very skilled and Mm -hmm. very knowledgeable about their specific industry and topic so hopefully the next time we talk i will have little fireflies all around the world oh wonderful so what's what's the best way to get in touch uh fireflies management uh, website Yes, I guess people can reach me out on fireflysmanagement.com or on LinkedIn. My DMs are always open. So if anyone has any questions or if freelancers are planning to, you know, PRs or marketing, um, people are planning to start their freelance journey, I would love to help and just give them some tips and directions on on things that have worked for me. So whichever way is easier. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much, Maria, for uh, coming in on... uh PR 360 and thank you for uh, sharing with our audience some very tangible uh, advice here (laughs) thank you so much Todd it's been a pleasure thank you PR 360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts follow GRC on all socials at Global Results follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.